All right, we're going to be in message number 15. We're picking back up in our Genesis study. We took our break for the holidays. We're getting to the Abraham story. We're going to look at Abraham. He goes from like Genesis 12 to 25, uh, lives a good 175 years. Uh, just a uh, super story right here, super story. We're going to look at God calls Abraham. Let's do a little bit of review from uh, catching up. Just a real quick one. Uh, you, I want you to memorize this if you can. You know, it's, it's not real difficult. Just think through the, the chapters of Genesis and keeping the storyline together. That's real important, keeping the storyline together. Genesis 1, that's the creation story, right? Six days, God created the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day, he did what? He rested, right? Then we got Genesis 2 is the Eden story. We, we zoom into the Garden of Eden. We see Adam and Eve there. Uh, then Genesis 3, something cataclysmic happens, doesn't it? That's the fall. That's the fall. We're introduced to this one called the serpent who tempts them and gets them to disobey God and fall. So Genesis 3 is the fall. Genesis 4 is the first story right after the fall, and that is the story of Cain and what's his brother's name? Abel. Cain and Abel. Then Genesis 5 is a genealogy. All right, you can remember that. Remember we talked about how the genealogies kind of separate the book in, into parts. And then 6 through 9 is the flood. We've got Noah... His ark, the flood, the animals, all the things that happened with Noah's ark. Genesis 6 through 9. Then Genesis chapter 10 is a genealogy again. And then Genesis 11 was the last lesson we covered. That's the Tower of Babel. All right, you got it? So now the next section of Genesis, that, that kind of 1 through 11, if, if we're doing just like a, a real cut and dry kind of parts of the story, part 1 is Genesis 1 through 11. Part 2 begins in chapter 12 and goes all the way to... Chapter 50, the end of the book. God's going to choose his earthly family. We're going to begin with the story of Abraham. Abraham, his wife's name was? Sarah, Sarah, right? And then Abraham's son was Isaac, right? Isaac's bride was Rebekah. Remember that? And they had twins. Remember the names of those twins? Jacob and Esau, right? They're wrestling in the womb. Esau gets out first, but Jacob's got what? What, what did he grab? His heel. He grabbed his heel and tried. It's almost like he's saying, oh, I'm going to be first. I'm, I'm coming out of here first. So, uh, so we got Isaac and Rebekah. Then we got the story of Jacob comes into play. Jacob is the guy who wrestled with God, and God changed his name to Israel. The country of Israel is named after Jacob. He had 12 sons who were known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob's life, when we, once we get to that story, you're going to see Jacob's life is a pretty interesting life. Pretty sorted. He's kind of a different kind of guy. And then at, coming towards the last from about chapter 37 to chapter 50, you got the story of Joseph. That's one of the most beloved stories in all the scriptures. Just a wonderful story. Joseph, young boy, goes through all kinds of things. The pit, Potiphar's house, prison, the whole deal ends up as the prince of Egypt. You saw the Disney movie, right? Yeah, it was a pretty rough, rough time for Joseph, but he ended up on top in Egypt. That's how Israel gets into Egypt, and from, from there you get into the Exodus story uh, as they're coming out of Egypt, just as the story continues in the book of Exodus. So now, this idea of the, this is what's called the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've heard that before, right? So God is forever tied up with these guys. He now becomes known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all right? So now, as we, we see all of that, 
go back to Genesis chapter 11. Let's talk about the Tower of Babel real quick. Just make sure we, we understand what's going on because what happens in chapter 12 is real important because of what happened in chapter 11. Now, what's going on at the Tower of Babel? I'm not sure. I'm not going to take for granted that you remember all that. But at the Tower of Babel, humanity has again rejected the one true God. They have built a tower for themselves. It says to make a name for themselves, to reach up into the heavens. It's no doubt a temple. It's, it's, a, it's a tower to where they are going to be their own God or worship another God, really, is what they're doing. Uh, so, so they've rejected the one true God, but notice they're still worshiping. So who are they worshiping? Who are they worshiping? Idolatry has now come into play in a very big way. They're worshiping these lesser gods, these, these idols, which Paul teaches us. He says you don't have, need to have anything to do with, with idols because the statue may be nothing like Isaiah would say. That it's just a dumb statue. Can't speak, can't do anything. It's not the statue that's the problem. What's behind the idol? The demonic forces, dark spiritual forces. These, what the scripture talks about, the gods of this world, you know, lesser gods is what we're calling them. Remember, Paul talks about that, having that kind of view of, of the world. Remember when he talked about putting on the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6? And he said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't fight against each other. But we fight against these principalities and powers. And he calls them rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Yeah. Well, they really make their debut, I say debut, but they, they really come to bear in the story right here in Genesis 11. They come about, all right? So now what God does, God comes down. So they're trying to build a tower to go up to heaven, and God says, it's so small, I've got to come down. You didn't make it quite to heaven, you know, that kind of thing. It's kind of a little biblical humor there. God confuses their language. This is where languages come from. And he scatters the people into all parts of the earth. In the different nations, we could say. He sets their boundaries, is what one passage says. And he turns them over to the lesser gods. If you need more information on that, that's Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9, and Psalm 82. He just turns them over. He says, basically, God says, all right, you want to worship all these other gods? You want to worship these lesser gods, these idols? I gave you free will. Have at it. It's not going to be good. You want to know why there's so much chaos and mess in the world? This is one of the main reasons right here, all right? So God allows the nations to be ruled by these dark powers, these dark spiritual beings, and God chooses, this is what happens in Genesis chapter 12, God chooses to start over again. Have we seen him start over yet? Mm-hmm. Noah was about that reset, wasn't he? That start over? Now Abraham's going to be about that too. God chooses to start over with this couple we call Abram and Sarah. Later we'll know them as Abraham and Sarah when God changes their name. So God is starting over in Genesis 12. Okay, so now keeping in line, making sense of the story, what we've talked about. Making sense of all that's going on now. We've been told some things to look for. Genesis 3.15, remember that prophecy? After they had fallen, after they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God comes and he gives a prophecy. And he speaks directly to the serpent. And he tells him, he said that there's going to be a war between your seed, the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman. And he said this, he said, you are going to strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Right? So now, so so what we're keeping in line with the story now, think about this. We've got the seed of the serpent on one side, the, the offspring of the enemy's people on one side, 
And then you've got the seed of the woman, God's people, on the other side. And out of these, the seed of the woman, out of, out of God's people, is going to come this one known as the snake crusher. So when we're reading the story, we're studying the story, we're, we're to be looking. All right, whose team is this person on? Who, and, and sometimes it's hard. You get to people like Jacob, you, you expect him to be on the side of the seed of the woman, but he's acting like, you know what he's acting like? God has to redeem him and restore him and change him. It, it, it's, it's not as cut and dry as we'd like it to be sometimes. But we're looking for this, this idea. Whose side are these people on? Who are they working for? Are they working for the enemy or are they working for God? Okay? And we're looking specifically for the snake crusher. Abraham becomes a candidate for that. Is, is Abraham going to be the one? He's going to be a pretty good fellow. He's not going to be perfect at all. So now, just keeping in mind with, with, the, uh, with the idea of the biblical story unfolding, the idea of the nations or the Gentiles. We're, do, I, do you know any Gentiles? <laughs> you married a Gentile? Oh, my goodness. Lord have mercy. I married one too. That's just the way it is, right? right? Uh, so the world's divided up into Jew and Gentile, right? Okay, so so you got the nations that are at war against God, and you got Abraham's family. Right now, we're going to find out as the story unfolds, as it gets to Jesus, that you can be in Abraham's family not just through blood, but you can be through Abraham's family through faith. Right, we're going to find that out. So now, what, what the story begins to show us is the sons of God. Remember that term, the sons of God. These dark powers, these dark spiritual beings, the sons of God. And the nations are ganging together to fight against God and Abraham's family. Now you ask, you tell me, have you seen that storyline play out at all in, his, in history? You remember a little thing called the Holocaust? Remember this, that, that terrible, tragic, awful thing? Why did that happen? Well, that, that, that storyline's playing out still in our history. You know, why is Israel the most hated nation on the planet? I mean, you know, Israel's not even as big as New Jersey. It's just a little bitty speck on the map, just a little bitty place. Why are they so hated? Well, it has to do with these dark spiritual powers behind the nations that provoke the people to hate the people of God. There's no doubt about it. It's a spiritual battle. All right. All right. So is your head swimming yet? All right. Are you tracking? Because that's really important to keep, keep some of this in, in mind right here. You're going to see this war happening between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman consistently all the time. So they're going to go down into Egypt. Guess who lives in Egypt? Pharaoh. And the seed of the serpent is down there. And soon it, doesn't, it gets to be pretty uncomfortable for the people of God. Right? All right. So now, Abraham. Let's get to Abraham. We know him as Abraham. His original name was Abram, which means exalted father. And that's kind of an uh, interesting thing. He's, he's named Abram, exalted father. Uh, but what's the problem? He doesn't have any children. He, he's not. He doesn't have any children. Now, Abraham is one of the most respected people of all of human history. And you know that he's revered by Christians, by Jewish people, obviously. He's considered to be their father, uh, but also by Muslims as well. He's one of the most respected men in human history. He's called Father Abraham. He's called Father of the Faithful. He's called the Friend of God in Scripture. He lived somewhere around 2200 B.C. 2200 B.C. We're, we're not real clear about it. We're trying to read the, uh, the handwriting that he left on a wall in Jerusalem. We're trying to find out where that is. 
date that. I'm kidding. I'm teasing. <laughs> There's a rock down there that says Abraham was here. We're trying to figure out when he wrote that. <laughs> but, it, you know, think about this. this I mean, it's, that's 4,000 years ago. Okay? So how can a man that lived 4,000 years ago help us? Well, you're going to see he helps us tremendously. He lived in a place called Ur. I always like to say that, Ur. Ur. It's just kind of a growl kind of thing. It's, it's Babylon. It's in the, the province called Babylonia, right? He goes from Ur, moves to Haran, and he lives in Mesopotamia area. Remember that? Mesopotamia? Remember the Tigris and Euphrates River? We studied those in high school? Uh, you, yeah, you studied it. You just weren't listening. It's the land between, or between the rivers. That's what Mesopotamia means, between the rivers right there. All right? And then he's going to, sir? Iraq. Mm-hmm. In that general area. And he's going to journey... We're going to see in, in, in today's text, he's going to journey to a place called the Promised Land, all right, what we call the Promised Land. Now, here's the map, just so you know, just so you can kind of see that the Babylon, okay, remember Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar, they come later and all that kind of thing. You got Babylon, this is, this is the, the Tigris and Euphrates River, Tigris and Euphrates River right there. This is the Mesopotamian region right here, all right? I guess I could do this on my, my pen. Right here, see if I can write on this. And you got, got Haran right there, you got Ur. And he's going to move, he was born in Ur. So he's a, he's a Babylonian. That's interesting, isn't it? He starts out, he's the, he becomes the first Hebrew. But he starts out as a Babylonian. When God calls him out and redeems him. Makes him a great nation. All right, and he, he moves to Haran and he's going to spend his life on this track and this journey. We're going to see him get to Shechem. See this little place called Shechem right here? He's going to journey south from Shechem in our text today, all right? So he, he spends his life kind of wandering, kind of living as a nomadic shepherd, farmer kind of guy uh, in that particular region. Right? Interestingly enough, Abraham was promised the land, and you know, he, he never really owned any of the promised land except for one piece. And I'll give you a nickel if you can tell me what he, what he owned in the promised land. <laughs> you, I owe you a nickel, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> you ain't supposed to bet in church, Miss Pat. <laughs> so, the only thing he owned in the promised land was the grave of his wife, Sarah. That's the only, that's the only part of the land he owned. All right. Now, so why study Abraham? Abraham, he covers again from chapter 12 to chapter 25 of the book of Genesis. But why, why should we study a man who lived 4,000 years ago? Well, Abraham is actually mentioned 70 times in the New Testament, over 70 times in the New Testament. That's a pretty good amount of real estate in the New Testament now. In the Bible, he's seen as the example of faith. You want to know what faith looks like? The Hebrews wouldn't give you a definition. They would tell you the story of Abraham. Right. Now, just some ideas of what, how Abraham's mentioned in, in the uh, New Testament. Just go this real quickly. Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is tied to Abraham. It says, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All right. Then in John 8, Jesus has a conversation uh, with these religious leaders. And he, 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 Abraham's brought into the conversation. Remember, Jesus makes a statement to him. He says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. And they said, what? You're, you're not even 50 years old yet. How could Abraham see your day? He said, before Abraham was, I am. Then in Romans, a large part of the idea of faith from Romans is built on the life of Abraham. 
The phrase, you heard this phrase before, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That, that comes out of Romans 4. Galatians 3, he's all in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. All right? Then we got into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews talks a lot about Abraham. Got the idea of Melchizedek comes out of the life of Abraham, the story of Abraham. Then he's mentioned in, in chapter 11, which is the hall of faith. Remember, all the people says, by faith, this one. By faith, Abel did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham. He's in there. On chapter, uh, verse number 10, it says this. Abraham waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Mm. So now, interestingly enough, Abraham come from the region where the Tower of Babel was. In that general region. He already knew about the city of man. He already knew about all that. What Abraham was looking for was the city of God. Hmm. Old song, looking for a city. Remember that one? In the book of James, we covered some of that. <laughs> so what does faith look like? It looks like Abraham, right? And faith is, is, a, is a growing process, right? It's not like you get faith and you just carry it around like a pocketbook or carry it around like a, like, like, like a book or something and you got it. Faith is something that's alive. It, it grows. It, it sometimes gets tested and sometimes it gets weakened at times, you know, things of that nature. And faith is a journey, isn't it? That's one thing we're going to see with Abraham's life. It's a journey. He goes on this journey with God. Faith is a, it's a walk with God. And just because you have faith doesn't mean you're perfect, does it? Abraham does, Abraham's a great man. He's, he's a great man. One of the greatest men mentioned in all of history. All of scripture. But he by no means is a perfect man. He makes a lot of mistakes. Hagar would be one of her names. Lies on his wife, about his wife, just a couple of things. You know, he's, he's not a perfect man. So that, that helps me. I don't know about you, that this helps me. Just because you have faith and you serve God doesn't mean that you necessarily have everything together. And it doesn't mean God's just going to put you off. God, he continues to work with us. Aren't you glad about that? Mm-hmm. There you go. You can work that up, don't you? All right, so let's pick it up in verse number one of chapter 12. We're just going to kind of walk through it little by little. It says this in chapter 12. Now, Abram, his name is actually mentioned at the backside of chapter 11, which we'll refer to some. Verse one of chapter 12 it says this, The Lord had said to Abram. So God speaks to this man, okay? Now, that, that's interesting, just, just that little part. We're going to get to what he said in just a moment, but... God speaks to Abram. Okay, now what's the problem with all the rest of humanity? Well, they're not listening to God. So now we have someone on the scene now who will respond in faith to the word of the Lord. That, that's who Abraham becomes. Abraham is the man who brings the worship of the one true God back to the human race. He helps bring it back. Okay, so, so we owe a great debt to this man. This man paid a huge price, made a huge sacrifice to bring back the worship of God. And as far as we know, up to this point, he's the only one there is. Kind of like Noah. Noah was the only one that served in his generation. Abraham, at this point, is the only one that's going to be serving. He's going to raise up people. But right now, he's the one that brings back the true worship of God. So Abraham hears God's word and he responds to it. Abraham knows this, that reality is established by the word of God. Do you realize that? That reality, whether it be good reality or bad reality, is established by the word of God. Genesis 1 tells us 
that everything we see that's created was created by the Word of God. God spoke. Genesis says God said, and it was so. God said, let there be, and whatever He said, that's what it was, right? So reality comes out of the Word of God. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Humans are to live in partnership and walk with God. So that walking with God is this conversation with God, this talking, this, this conversing with God, this listening to God. We're to live in the blessing of God that comes out of that walk with God. And then in Genesis 3, the great temptation is that the Word of God is brought into doubt. Hmm. Then in Genesis 4, we see Cain. Cain refuses to listen to the Word of God. And how did that shape his reality? Yeah, it wasn't good, was it? Then in Genesis 6 through 9, humanity forsakes God. And it's so bad that God just resets everything. He cleanses the entire earth with the flood. Then in Genesis 11, we see again the Tower of Babel. Humanity forsakes God again and worships these lesser gods. And then in Genesis 12 again, Abram, he simply does what God says. You see? All right. So the instructions to Abraham are this, the the second part of verse number one. Abraham is told this, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Hmm. That's an interesting set of instructions, isn't it? Now, his, his, his dad has already passed away. We saw his, his dad died in chapter 11 is what the text tells us. So he, he's probably in some sort of responsibility in his family. And God says, I want you to get out of your country. I want you to leave your family and I want you to move out of your father's house. And I want you to go on this journey with me. Now, he said, did, did he say to Abraham, well, well, here's a map and here's where we're going to be for the next three years. And then we're going to spend three years here and we're going to get us a little hotel. and We're going to stay right there. We'll be fine. Then we're going to go move and we're going to go over here for five more years. And you're going to have to hold out. and We're going to have a good time. Mm-mm. You know, I, I, I had a five-year plan one time. <laughs> it was funny. In Bible college, they had us do an exercise where, you know, you had, you had your one, I mean, you're in Bible school. You, you're in, you know, you're 20. What do you know? You don't know nothing, you know? So I'm sitting there writing. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll get some 20-year-olds in here. <laughs> but you still don't know much, right? <laughs> some are smarter than others. <laughs> anyway, one of them belongs to me, so it's all right. <laughs> so, but but they, they had us writing, you know, one-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 20-year plan, and then a lifetime plan. So we wrote all that stuff. You know what somebody said one time? You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. <laughs> yeah. I still got that notebook, by the way. So he's told to leave the known, leave what he knows, and step out in faith and walk with God. All right, now, now question to you. Why do you think Abraham had to leave his familiar surroundings? Why do you think he had to do that? God puts that demand on a lot of people at times. Maybe it was a test to see if he would leave. A test if he would leave, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know y'all got, y'all, y'all got good families. Yeah, everybody just look this way, because some of y'all can. <laughs> or maybe all of y'all can, I think. <laughs> Is that what's happening around here? <laughs> Bad influences. 
You know, you know who can influence you most for the good? Family. You know who can influence you the most for the bad? Family. So maybe it was some of that. We're not really told in the story. We're speculating here. What else do you think? What, what do you think? Anybody else got any comments on that? What do you think he had to leave the familiar? Get out of the noise. Get out of the noise. Test of faith. Starting a new life, getting away from the old. That's all good. That's good. Sometimes God causes you to do that. All right? Now, the faith lesson that I hear in all of this. Following God will always require great sacrifice. Make no mistake about it. If we've done a disservice to our generation, what we have done, we have made following God look too easy. I promise you, if you follow the one true God, and his son, Jesus Christ, there will be sacrifices you have to make. I promise you. Why? Well, because we're usually going in the wrong direction. We've got to give up something in order to get something. You've got to give up the wrong in order to get on the right, right? So with, without a doubt, whether God calls you to leave geographically or leave people that, that you're kin to or whatever, that, that'll be between you and God. Not everybody's called to that kind of thing. I, I, I had to at one point in time. I, I remember the day when I had to go to my dad and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm moving. Now, there wasn't any animosity. There wasn't no problems or nothing like that. But it was just a, a call. God said, I, I got something for you to do over here. Here's, here's what the sacrifice I promise you will entail. It may not entail you moving geographically or moving the house or going taking the family across seas and all that kind of thing. But it will entail this. You're going to have to leave your old life. You're going to have to leave your old friends, most of them anyway. You know, you're running buddies. Especially that one. You know, there's always one of your running buddies that's just got more power over you than God does, it seems like sometimes. Is anybody but me have that guy? I mean, I had a buddy in my life. He's in the past now. He never did come out of his teenage years. He died of cirrhosis of the liver just about a year ago. One of my best buddies in high school. If he said, we're going to go up here and jump off this bridge, I don't know why, but we would do something. We would do something crazy. Anybody but me ever had people like that in your life? I mean, I, 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 I'm not a weak person. I'm not a weak personality. You probably figured that out already. <laughs> but I had that one dude, if he said, we're going to do this, drink this, smoke this, do this, whatever this, we did that. You know what? When I started following Jesus... That was one, he was one of the relationships I had to let go. Talk to him about it. I tried to bring him into Jesus. I hope he found him before he passed. I tried to bring him in. But I said, man, if you won't come in, I got to get out. And we just kind of had to part our ways. Hmm. You're going to have to leave your old ideas. You're going to have to check those out at the door. Leave them there. Because Jesus has got a whole other set of ideas for you to believe and follow, right? So now, this, this, this great sacrifice, it's, it's the call to a great adventure with God. That's what Abraham's on. That's, that's what I hope you're, you're understanding about your life, that it's not just this idea of us just going to church and reading our Bible. It's that God really does have an adventure for us to get on, each one of us. I don't know what your part is to play in it. I don't know what your function is, your role, your calling. That's between you and him to figure it out. But every believer is not just called to hold on and go to heaven and play harps and float on clouds. That's a bunch of nonsense. 
Every believer is called to live out this great adventure. And this great adventure, you know what it is? It is the longing, the ultimate longing of the human heart. That's what it is. It's what you've been looking for. It's what you're searching for. It's what you're hungry for. And it's kind of like, sometimes it's like you're hungry and don't know what it is. You know, it's like when you get up at midnight and you, you're starving. You, you go to the refrigerator and you, you want something and you look at No, it ain't the cheese. No, it ain't the milk. It, no, you look in the pantry. No, it ain't the Oreo. And you don't. You, <laughs> you, 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 you're hungry, but you don't know what you're hungry for. Well, I'm telling you, this is what you're hungry for. You're hungry for this great adventure, and you're hungry to live a life to where you've got to put your whole self into it, and you've got to live a calling that's worth your whole life. This is that great sacrifice right here. And if God does anything, if I know anything about Him, He honors sacrifice. All right. Now listen to what Jesus says. I'm not making this up, obviously. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. It says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. We start to see the sacrifice right there. Let him or her deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see the sacrifice? It's important. And you know what? Something I, I, I saw about Jesus. We, I don't know why we've done it in, in our 21st century churches and all that kind of thing. We, we've sugarcoated the whole thing out and just made it so easy. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus goes up to a rich man, says, hey, buddy, yeah, you want to come follow me? I'll tell you what you do. You go take everything you got, liquidate your assets, and give all the money to the poor, and then you can come follow me. Well, now, you know, ain't no preacher going to say that nowadays. I'm not saying we should. Now, you better have a word from the Lord if you tell somebody that kind of stuff. But I'm saying Jesus didn't sugarcoat it at all. Somebody else said, you want to come follow me? He said, look, I ain't got no place to stay. He said, you know, the foxes got holes, the birds got nests. I, I don't. Can you live this kind of life? I don't even have a place to sleep, boy. You think you can handle that? <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? But isn't it something, you know what? If you find the great adventure, you'll be willing to make the great sacrifice. I promise you. All right, so he, he promises him something. Let's look at this promise in a few different lights here. This is the land promise, okay? He says, I'm going to take you to a land that I will show you. I'm going to show you. It's going to kind of unfold as we go across this thing. All right? We call that the promised land. You heard that phrase? The promised land or the promised land? Why do we call it that? Well, it was the land that was promised to Abraham. That's where it gets its name from. Okay? It's also known as Canaan. Canaan land. You remember that old song? I'm camping, I'm camping in Canaan's happy land. Every day I'm camping in the land of Canaan. It's a knee slapper, ain't it? <laughs> you don't know that one? Y- y'all don't know that song? Yeah, we've heard that. Maybe you didn't hear the, the tune I was singing. <laughs> Maybe it didn't make it sound familiar. We call it the Holy Land. Maybe some other names for it. It's also known as Israel. This is the land promise. 
So I'm going to make you a new family. You're going to be my family, Abraham. And I'm going to give you a new place to live. I'm going to give you a new land. All right? Now, there's the land promise. Then, then he makes what I'm calling the great promise. It says great in here twice in this particular section of the promise. In verse number two, he says, I will make you a great nation. Okay, that's interesting. So he's going to start a whole new people group with Abraham. I will bless you and I will make your name great. That sounds pretty good. But how's one of the ways that you make somebody's name great? Well, you carry it on through legacy, through children. Okay, well, that's, that's kind of a problem right now. And you shall be a blessing. So you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. So he's saying, I'm, Abraham, I'm going to give you prominence. I'm going to give you significance. I'm going to give you longevity. I'm going to build you a legacy. I'm going to make you a prosperous, influential man. You're going to be so blessed that you're going to be a blessing to everybody else. You shall be a blessing, right? And I like it when I get blessed and all my needs get taken care of. But the real blessing of blessing is to be a blessing. You understand that? So he's going to make him a nation and make his name great. But there's one big problem with all of that. And if you're reading your text over in chapter 11, verse number 30, the big problem is his name is not going to carry on because he doesn't have what? He doesn't have any ch- children. Now, childrens, <laughs> No children. <laughs> Why? Sarah, his wife, can't have babies. She's barren. Hmm. So now let's get another faith lesson right here. We see this right here. In the journey of faith, there are always impossible hurdles you have to jump over. Now, wait a minute now. You mean impossible? Yeah. God, you're going to give me a family. You're going to make me a nation. You're going to help my, my, my legacy go into generations and generations and generations. Ah, uh, there's only one problem. We can't have no kids. Yeah. Yeah, if you're 90 years old and they said you're going to get pregnant, you'd laugh too, probably. You know? Or cry. <laughs> cry or laugh, yeah. She may have been laughing to keep from crying. <laughs> anyway. So this is an impossible thing. So the journey of faith always takes you, when you walk with God, it always takes you beyond. Beyond your abilities, beyond your resources, beyond your thoughts, beyond what we may say in modern terms, beyond your comfort zone. I promise you it will. And why does God take us into the impossible? Well, it's there we find Him. And if you're going to go on this great adventure, you're going to need God's help. Abraham's going to find that out. All right? So now, now we've got the protection promise. Verse number three. He says this, I will bless those who bless you. So he's still speaking to Abraham about this. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So now there's this protection he puts over Abraham's life. Do you see that? I'm la- let me ask you this. Is this protection still in effect? I believe it's in effect over Israel. And I believe it's in effect over Abraham's spiritual kids, which is the people of faith in Jesus Christ too. You want to rouse up God. You want to wake him up. You want to get his attention in a, in a negative way. Put your hand on Israel. Now, I don't, I don't know. You, you can go do studies, and it's, it's, it's speculative about what people say, but, but there are people who have done studies that all, a lot of natural disasters, every time Israel gives up land, 
Every time one of the people come against Israel, something crazy happens in that nation. It's a big deal. Like when, like our, our, uh, some of our elected officials are saying things about Israel that are not good and holy at all. That's not good. Because this is still in effect. If you bless them, God will bless you. But if you curse them, that says a whole different deal. God will curse you. Then that, did you see that little line right there? In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Huh. Now think about this. this that's a redemption promise right there. So now all the other families of the earth, they're all worshiping other gods. So God is going to do something through Abraham's life that is absolutely going to help redeem all of humanity. Guess what his name is? It's Jesus. Verse 4. I were almost done for tonight. So Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken to him. So God said go and Abraham went. God called. Abraham answered. God spoke. Abraham listened and Abraham obeyed. And God promised and Abraham believed him. You see why God liked this guy so much? God looks at him one time. He says, you're, you're my friend. <laughs> the rest of verse 4. It says, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This great adventure started when Abraham was 75 years old. How old are you, Paul? 73? You still got two more years till you grow up into this. <laughs> now, who is Lot? Who is Lot? He was his nephew. Why is he with Abraham? Anybody know? We get some of those details in that back side of chapter 11. Abraham's brother passed away at an early age. Abraham takes Lot into his caravan, into his family. He just takes care of his nephew. Is what he does. And Lot is going to be trouble. Old boy said Lot is going to be a lot of trouble. <laughs> now Lot gets tied up in the Sodom and Gomorrah story and all that kind of thing that's going on. Uh, conflict with him and Abraham too. So now at 75 years old, Abraham's journey begins. How about that? Now he, he lives, just in case you're wondering, he lives to be 175 years old. All right. Let's read these last few verses and we'll go. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Cana. So they came to the land of Cana. Remember that, that, that southward tr track we were talking about? They went from Ur to Haran. Then he, his daddy died there. And when he come out of Haran, he's going south down into Canaan land. Remember that little trajectory right there? All right. So they come to the land of Cana. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah and the Canaanites were there in the land. Okay. All right, so now what's Shechem? Shechem becomes a real important place in the Bible. Shechem is the place where, you remember Joseph when they said Joseph was uh, going to die and he said, don't leave my bones in Egypt. I want you to take my bones and bury them. Well, they bury them in Shechem right there. Shechem is the first place that's mentioned that Abraham passes through. 
Shechem is also the place when they're getting ready to go into the promised land during the time of Joshua and Moses, right before Moses is gone in the book of Deuteronomy. They stop at Shechem and they read the blessings and the cursings right there at Shechem. Okay, that's a real important place in the Bible now. It says that the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. I said, well, God appeared to Abram. I wonder how he appeared. I, I, I always wondered that. I'm going to ask Abraham, Abraham when we get there. Could have been a dream. It might have been a vision. Well, God just walked up on him a couple of times. It could have been a bodily conversation. Face-to-face kind of deal. Verse 8, And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. Bethel comes prominent in the Jacob story as well. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Ai. If you know the Bible story, these, these names start to pop up. Ai is the place where, remember, they were going to go fight the battle and it was a little town and they thought they were going to lick them real good. And it uh, didn't happen. That was Ai. Yeah, they got a, it was a big upset. And, and Joshua was upset about the upset. <laughs> And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now the two, two times we see something repeat itself. What was it? Anybody? He built an altar to the Lord. Abraham is known as the man who builds altars. Everywhere he goes, he builds an altar. What's an altar? Yeah, it's a place of worship. So everywhere Abraham goes, guess what he's doing? He's worshiping God. It's also a place of sacrifice, isn't it? Everywhere he goes, Abraham's making sacrifice unto the Lord. Everywhere he goes, he's worshiping God. Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. All right, so that's, that's just an introduction there to Abraham. Abraham. So God calls Abraham. Let me ask you this before we go. Has God called you to do something? Well, probably a good chance he's not going to call you to be the potentate of a Middle Eastern country. But does he have something in mind for you? It may not be as grand as Abraham. But for the people in your life, it may be just as important. Has God called you to do something? Well, if, if you're married, guess what he's called you to? To be the spouse, the best spouse that you possibly can be. If you've got kids, guess what he's called you to? Be the best daddy you can be. Be the best mom you can be. He's called us to reach out to lost people. No doubt. If you've got a job, guess what he's called you to do? Do it with all your might. Do it as unto him. You know, whatever it is. And in the meantime, there may be specifics on it. You, you, you might become a pastor. I don't recommend it. <laughs> only if you're called. <laughs> but you, you, you might be a business owner. He might call you into missionary work. He might call you into you know, the, all the church thing, things we think about, music and things like that. He might call you into something like that. He might call you to farm some land. He might call you to be a 
city county official. Might call you to be a doctor. Might call you to be a lawyer. Might call you into professional sports. Might call you to be a journalist, a writer, a nurse. You think about it like that? Father, thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. And Lord, I pray you'd help us like Abraham did. Help us find that great adventure. Whatever that might be for us, Lord, whatever expression that might be. Lord, that's where we find your life. That's where we find faith. That's where we, that's where we grow. That's where we're challenged. That's where we come alive. So help us to find that place, Lord, and grow there. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for Abraham's story, Lord. I just pray you just use his story to increase our faith. May we be known as the kind of people that everywhere we go, we worship. Everywhere we go, we're doing it as unto the Lord. Everywhere we go, we know that your presence is with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this story. May it strengthen us in our story. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.